to Eve's Corner. Eve's Corner is a show of empowerment, enlightenment, and encouragement. And I am so happy that you have joined me on today. I am Prophetess Amina Campbell Jackson. And again, welcome. Today, our topic is don't tell me who you are. Show me by your fruit. Again, that's don't tell me who you are. Show me by your fruit. So first, we're going to begin with prayer. And before we get ready to pray, our scripture reading is coming from the book of Luke, the sixth chapter, and we're going to read verses 43 through 45. Again, that's Luke 6, beginning at verse 43. Now, just for reference, we are going to refer to some other scriptures such as Second Chronicles while we are going through today's topic. So you can keep your Bibles handy or keep your notepads and iPads and all those things out. But for now, we're going to read from Luke, the sixth chapter. While you're turning, gathering your devices and things of that nature, let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we do thank you now, God, for your many blessings. Thank you, God, for watching over us. And Lord, thank you for keeping us, even, God, when we didn't want to be kept. We pray now, God, that your word comes forth with clarity and with understanding. God, bless everyone that is connected with this ministry in the name of Jesus. I pray now that you meet every need. God, fill every void. Lift up every bowed down head. Heal, God, those that are sick and need deliverance on today. Meet every need in the name of Jesus. God, because you have shown yourself faithful, we trust you, God, and we are leaning and depending upon you. Right now, God, let your word come forth that the people of God be edified on today. And built up in your word, even the more. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 
All right, people of God, again, we're at Luke, the sixth chapter. And beginning at verse number 43, the Bible reads, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good fruit. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Amen. May the Lord add a blessing to the readers and doers of his most holy word. So people of God, in this day and time, people are not looking for preachers to stand on one leg rhyming and holding one ear. People don't need Christians to wear these cute little t-shirts proclaiming who we are. And they don't need neighbors who have all of these Christian items with big signs in the yard and things on the door. But what is needed in this day and time is for us to stop talking about it and be who we say we are. They need our attitudes and our spirits to match our words and these t-shirts and all these big signs and emblems that we have. How many times have you heard people say that they are not going to go back to a church because of the way someone at the church mishandled them. And although I'm aware that for some people, this is just an excuse. I get that. However, if it's true, then we need to make some adjustments as Christians. We cannot continue to use for an excuse. Well, I'm just keeping it real. We can't keep saying things like that because if you're keeping it real means that you are offensive. And if it means that you are not operating in the love of God, then you're not real. Quite simply, you have an issue. You're just mean. The definition of fruit. As we've just read in Luke chapter six. The word fruit is defined as the sweet and fleshy product of a tree or other plant that contains seed and can be eaten as food. Therefore, your attitude is a product of the type of tree or the type of person that you are. So is it a tree of joy? Is it a tree of hope? Is it a tree of love? Or is it a tree of deception? Is it a tree of confusion? Maybe it's a tree of idolatry. If we were to call it as we see it, ask yourself, what kind of tree would you be if we stopped by your job? What kind of tree would you be if we caught you out in the yard talking to your neighbors? What kind of tree would your husband or your spouse say that you are? See, we have titles these days as long as our arms, but people are still falling away 
because we, especially for those in the ministry, and yes, I'm holding us accountable today. And when I say us, I mean we, including myself. But we as preachers may be telling them to do one thing, but they see us continue to blatantly and maliciously do another. We as leaders in the church are not always doing the things that we expect from other people. Have we forgotten all about being an example in the community as Christians? Are we an example in the way that we walk and talk? Are we an example when we put on our clothes every day and people are paying attention to our attire? Are we trying to influence people in the wrong way, women, with our clothes? Are we an example to the rest of the community? And I'm talking to the church folks. Are we an example in our marriages? Are we an example in the way that we raise our children or in our lifestyles altogether? Much of the time, as Christians, we walk around acting, looking, and talking just as defeated or even more depressed or broken or impoverished and worldly than we've ever been. But people of God, it is time for us to come out from among them. We might have gone in to pull some folks out, but it's clear that we've stayed too long and we've gotten way too comfortable as we claim to just be keeping it real. And now here it is that we're looking and acting just like the rest of the world. So today, we do need to come out from among them. We should not be identified with all the same things that worldly folks are identified with. We should not be looking, walking, talking, acting like the rest of the world. We've got to come out from among them. We should be set aside. We should be looking different. We should be acting differently, people of God. Now let's talk about Second Chronicles 7 and 14, and many of us know this scripture very well. Second Chronicles 7 and 14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So, do we know who this scripture is referencing? It's referencing the people of God. Let's look at this scripture and let's discuss what's required of us as Christians in order to get this much needed breakthrough. Let's look at what it's gonna take for us to bear the fruit of who we say we are. So one of the first things that Second Chronicles 7 and 14 talks about is humility. The definition of humility is a modest or low view of one's own importance. One of our biggest issues is that we, as people of God, have just become so big for our britches, as the old people used to say. We've become so big for our britches that nobody can tell us anything. We know everything. Or that's what we act like. We've become so high and mighty, as they say, 
that we just feel like we've arrived and we're the end all be all. Guess what? I don't care how many tongues you speak in. I don't care how well you sing, how well you dress. I don't care how many letters come behind your name. And I don't care how long you say you've been saved. There is somebody that can teach you something. If you would just have a teachable spirit, you don't know everything. We are so big now and have so little humility Young people that now parents can't even tell you anything. The church can't tell us anything. And in school, a lot of times teachers couldn't tell you anything. But guess what? If you're not careful, the warden or somebody in the prison is going to be telling you something. And I can bet you won't be arguing with him or her. When they tell you to walk that yellow line and stay up against the wall or eat at this time or get up at that time and go to bed at this time. Because with them, we know that there's going to be an immediate consequence and some repercussions. And guess what else? God is going to tell you something. Because if we continue to be stiff-necked and wayward and disobedient, we're going to perish. And that's a sad thing. It's not your way. It's God's way. It's not all about you. It's not all about how you feel or what you think. It's about the will of God for your life and for mine. The Bible says in Matthew 18 and 3, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of God. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself, As this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 23 and 12 says, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. So guess what? If you want God to exalt you or to lift you up or to promote you or to elevate you, you've got to go low. So what does that mean? It means that you can't always be seen. Sometimes you have to be the person that works behind the scenes. It means that sometimes you can't have the last word with your spouse, but sometimes you just got to be quiet and pray and go somewhere and sit down. Sometimes you can't be the Moses in the group, but you can still be effective and be Miriam or be Aaron. Just do your part. You don't always have to be the leader. You don't always have to be in charge. Humble yourself. And then if you're humble, God will lift you up. But now if you keep doing things your way, you're going to miss God. And again, that's a sad thing. What else does that scripture say in 2 Chronicles 7 and 14? That same scripture tells us that we need to pray and seek God's face. Well, what does that mean? So Jesus said in Luke 18 and 1 that men ought to always pray and not to faint. Prayer is a two-way communication with God. Many of us have prayer just like we have conversations with our children and with our spouses. You do all the talking and you never stop to listen. Well, that's rude. Guess what? 
when you pray, Jesus gave a model prayer so that it wouldn't be all about you. And in his model prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer, the importance is that he's helping us not to faint and not to get weary. The model prayer ensures that God hears our petitions because we're approaching him in the way that he wants to be approached. We used to pray this prayer when we were children. Many of us memorized it from Sunday school or memorized it at church somewhere. Some of us sang it in a song. But now, a lot of times we've just become all wordy with our prayers that we've left out some of the basic concepts that are necessary to get a prayer through. Sometimes we pray this prayer, but we have a limited understanding of how we're supposed to pray. And so once again, we miss it. The question of how do we pray is one that is often asked and one that's posed thousands of years ago, even by the disciples in Luke 11 verses one through four. One of the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray because Jesus prayed all the time to the father. And then Jesus replied to him by giving us the model prayer. It's the one that we recite all the time throughout our life. He instructed his disciples to pray this way. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. And that word amen means let it be so. So now, We're going to break this down and get an understanding of the model prayer. And it's not so that we can always use these exact words because it is a good start. But it's so that we understand the concept and the importance of prayer so that we know how it is that we need to approach God so we can get a prayer through. Because we need God to do some things for us. And one of those things is definitely to help us to bear this fruit that we talk about. It's to help us to not just talk about what being a Christian is supposed to be like, but to actually be about it, to do it. Because see, faith without works is dead being alone. We talk all the time about this faith that we have. We confess this faith. We talk about our beliefs. But a lot of times there are no works. There are no actions. And faith is an action word. So we want to make sure that as we pray, we have an understanding. So now beginning from the top, our Father who art in heaven. We start our prayer by professing our core religious belief that God is our heavenly father, the one who is all knowing, all seeing, all powerful. We know that God is omnipotent and omnipresent. So notice 
that Jesus didn't instruct us to say my father, but he stressed our father. See, in God's kingdom, we don't live as isolated individuals, but we experience God's fatherhood as members of the church, as a body of believers, as the family of Jesus, the son. So this reminds us that we recognize all of those around us as children of God. And then therefore we should be treating them accordingly. But most importantly, it helps us to know what a good daddy is supposed to good like to look like. What does a good father look like? Well, God is that example. A good daddy provides, he protects, he has patience. He loves you unconditionally. And yes, sometimes he has to chasten us. But again, that's because he loves us. Because if he doesn't chasten us, that would mean he doesn't care what we do. And we know that's not the case. So one thing about a good father is that sometimes you might not even know what direction he's going in for the moment. But you trust him. Because his record is good with you. You know that he has your best interests at heart. You know he cares about you. You know he's concerned about you. So that's why we pray our father. And then we move on down. And we say hallowed be thy name. Hallowed is another word for holy or sanctified. So when we say hallowed be thy name. We're not only telling God, I recognize that you are holy, but more importantly, we're asking that his name be recognized by everybody throughout the world as being the ultimate holy power that one day, sooner rather than later, everybody will know him to be righteous Everybody will know him to be powerful. Everybody will know him to be the one true and living God. And because God is holy, we can also be holy. We can be set aside. We can be different. We don't have to look and act like the rest of the world. Because every child wants to look like their daddy somewhere. And every daddy is looking at his child because he's making sure that that child is looking, acting, walking, and talking like daddy. And that makes him proud. Don't you want God to be proud of you? Don't you want him to look at our actions and every single day be proud of us? We don't want him to look at us and shake his head and say, no, depart from me because I never knew you. I don't know who you are. You're not one of my children. No. We want him to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Well done, my child. That's what we want. So therefore, we have to be holy because God, our father, is holy. Now, the next line in the model prayer is thy kingdom come. So this petition has a twofold meaning. First of all. We're asking that God's kingdom, where there's only goodness, honesty, and love for one another, surrounds us in our everyday life. You don't have to wait to go to heaven to be in God's kingdom. 
We want our everyday life to be about the kingdom of God. We want our everyday life to be filled with goodness, positive things, honesty, love, joy, peace. We want our everyday life to look like this. And then secondly, we are praying for the fulfillment of the Lord's promise that he will return at the end of time and grant us eternal life. We don't want to go through this life and can't have the promises of God. There are some benefits that belong only to the children of God. And if you're not one of his and you're listening on today, I want you to know that you might be a nice person, but your good deeds won't get you there. If you've not confessed Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if you don't know that he is the son of God and he died for your sins and for mine, if you don't know that he got up on the third day morning with all power in heaven and earth given unto him, if you don't know that he took the sting out of death, took victory out of the grave, if you don't understand who he is, then you won't see God's kingdom, period. Going to church, being around Christians, owning a Bible does not make you a Christian. You have to profess that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life. Just being nice is not enough. Guess what? Because our Father, which art in heaven, Daddy, our Lord, has mansions that he's prepared just for his children. And if you're not his child, you don't get one. Healing belongs to his children. Deliverance belongs to his children. It's just like in the natural realm. Your dad is not responsible for those children that are not his. You might get to come over for dinner once or twice. You can come to our house and eat. But guess what? He isn't going all out. For those that are not his. He's not paying insurance for those that are not his. He's not taking those to the doctor for those that are not his. If your natural daddy doesn't do that, then guess what? The same with your spiritual father. You need to be adopted into the beloved. You need to come into the family. You need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So that the kingdom blessings belong to you as well. You need to have your name changed. You need to be one of his. Then you can have those kingdom benefits. No doubt about it. The next line of the model prayer. Is thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray these words asking for God's grace to move us to do his will throughout our lives. That means doing all of the things that will please our father, even the difficult things, whether it's something big to some of us like moving an elderly parent into our home or volunteering our time once a week at the soup kitchen or at the homeless shelter or, or giving food to those who are needy. For some of us, it may be something small, like giving up a parking space or just not being on the phone, spreading gossip. In committing ourselves to Christ, 
we can become one spirit with him. And therefore, we do accomplish his will because his will is to be done in you, in me, in all of us. If we say we are his children in this earthly realm, it's already done in heaven. So we just need it to be done in the earth. So. If we want it to be manifested in the natural, it needs to be manifested in us. God is a spirit, but he needs us to be in these bodies to carry out his will. In your body, in your finances, in your walk and in your talk, let the will of God begin in us. So the next line in the model prayer is give us this day our daily bread. Here, we're recognizing that all things that we need come to us from God. Everything that you need is in Jesus. In this portion of the prayer, we're asking that God continue to give us not only the food we need for nourishment naturally, but we also find our spiritual nourishment in the word of God. This is the bread of heaven. And a good daddy makes sure that his children eat every single day. But you have to sit down at the table to get it. Remember when you were young, you couldn't just be running around and say you're eating dinner. No, you got to come and sit down and come and get it. And God isn't going to tie you to a chair and force feed you to make you eat. He's not going to abuse you. He's not going to make you eat his word. But you have to be willing to get it and then take it in and digest it. And every time you need it, it's going to come back up. Every day God's word is fresh and new. His mercies are new every morning. The word of God is never stale and it never gets old. The word of God is always right on time. And I'll tell you right now, every single time I've been in a bind or in a situation or had a circumstance to come up, the word of God is what helps me. The word of God is what strengthens me. The word of God is what gives me hope because I know that his word is true because I know that he is faithful to perform his word. He watches over his word just to perform it. I know that God can't lie. I know that God will do just what he said. So if we continue to take in this daily bread, this word of God on a regular basis, we will continue, people of God, to be nourished. We will continue to have everything that we need. Praise God. No matter what your circumstance, no matter what your situation, it is found in the word of God. If you don't know how to be a parent, it's found in the word of God. If you don't know how to be an obedient child, it's found in the word of God. If you don't know how to be a good steward over your finances, it is found in the word of God. If you don't know how to be a good neighbor or a good friend or a good Christian, Every single thing that you need help with is found in the word of God. And I'm so glad because that means that he didn't just leave us without guidance. He didn't just leave us without instructions. Your B-I-B-L-E 
is the book of instructions. It is your operations manual. He did not leave us without telling us how to live, what to do, where to go, what not to do, how to behave, how not to behave, what to allow, what not to allow. People of God, if we intend to bear fruit, we have to know what it is that God expects of us. And where do we find his expectations? It's all found in the word of God. And I'm so thankful that it's always an on-time word because he's an on-time God. Get your nourishment every day. Don't walk around malnourished. Don't walk around dehydrated. Don't walk around without everything that you need. Your nourishment is in the word of God. This is your daily bread. Now the next line is and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Who I know, I know, I know. Some of you are shaking your head right now because forgiveness sometimes seems to be tough for us. Now we can talk about it. We can use the word, but actually doing it Ooh, people of God, sometimes I, I think that's a little rough for us. And I'm going to tell you, it may be easy for us to ask God to forgive us of our trespasses, of our sins. We're always quick to say, oh, my past is under the blood because we want everybody to forget about the stuff we did. We want everybody to forget about how we used to act, how we used to behave, how we used to dress, how we used to look, how we used to talk. Those foul words that always came out of our mouth. We're quick to say, oh, God has forgiven me. And we're quick to ask God for that forgiveness. Absolutely. But guess what? The same God in his absolute, absolute infinite wisdom teaches us that in order for him to forgive us of our wrongdoings, in order for God to forgive us, we have to first forgive others. That's right. Those same people that hurt you, those same people that offended you, those same people that didn't do what they said they were going to do, those same people that took from you, those same people that mishandled you and mistreated you. Yes, those same folks. Those same folks. Some of us have some family members that are dead and gone and we're still mad at them. Don't you know, God is not being difficult, but he's teaching us that when there is bitterness and anger in our hearts, there is no room for his love to fill our hearts. So we have to get that stuff out. How do we ask God to be merciful upon us? How do we ask God to forgive our sins if we're holding a grudge or refuse to give another one of his children? How do we ask God to forgive that lie we told? But somebody come and lie to us. Oh, no. All oh, hell breaks loose. We ready to fight. We ready to go off. I can't believe they lied to me. Guess what? You have to forgive them just like you want God to forgive those lies that you tell at tax time. Just like you want God to forgive those lies that you tell your boss when you call him pretending you sick in the morning. Those lies that you tell your children pretending, sisters, that every man that come over there is that child's uncle. Those lies, yes, those. We want God to forgive us. 
we have got to forgive other people. And forgiving somebody, I know a lot of times it's easier said than done, but we have to be serious. We have to be ready. We have to want to forgive somebody. We have to make sure that we make it a point to forgive, walk in forgiveness, talk in forgiveness, walk and talk in love. I know it's easier said than done. But isn't it just funny, though, that the very same things that we've done, we as Christians will turn around and condemn somebody else for doing it. Stop it. A lot of times we find older people, older Christians, people who've been saved for a long time in the church, right there in the church, pointing fingers at the young folks for how they dance or for wearing tight clothes or for not coming to church. A lot of times we're judging everything that these young people are doing. But where's your compassion? Where's your love? Where's your forgiveness? And guess what? They just don't know. You did the very same thing that they're doing. You did it. And God forgave you. Stop holding grudges against these young people and help them. Show them the way. Direct them. But you can't do it unless you do it in love. And that comes from forgiveness. Stop talking bad about other people start with forgiving yourself ask God to forgive you and forgive those other people whatever it is that happened you've got to address it in love and then you can watch the change happen many of us are stuck on things that happened to us years and years ago especially in childhood Many of us are stuck on things that happened to us in previous relationships. And we're trying to hold people accountable now for something that somebody else did to us a long time ago. Don't you know that stuff is hindering your blessings right now? Don't you know that that very same unforgiveness is hindering you being forgiven right now? I don't care how many scriptures you can quote. If you don't forgive other people, God is not forgiving you. Remember, if you want God to forgive you, you have to go back and forgive Slick Willie. You got to go back and forgive that molesting uncle, that molesting aunt. You have to go back and forgive that person that robbed you or abused you or raped you. Yeah, I know those are, are, are torturous, treacherous things. But even those people need to be forgiven. Because you cannot move forward unless you let go of that old stuff, that old baggage, that old garbage that's still stinking up your current life. You have got to be able to move on. So to do that, sisters, you're going to have to let it go. Brothers, you're going to have to let it go. Children, you're going to have to let it go. Parents, I know that child disappointed you, but forgive them. Let it go and love them through whatever the circumstance is. There are some folks right now who are not in church because of something that an old pastor, an old usher, an old deacon did or said when you were a child. Maybe somebody was mean to you when you were a kid at the church or you felt like they were being mean because they told you you couldn't do something or you couldn't have something. 
because somebody wouldn't let you sing a solo in the choir. You're going to have to forgive these folks and move on with your life. Forgive them and God will forgive you. This stuff is a hindrance. We have got to, people of God, learn how to forgive. Learn how to be true examples of the Christians that we say we are. Learn how to bear real fruit and forgiveness. Although it may seem difficult to you in the natural. But deal with it in the spirit realm. Let God deal with you. Let God heal you. So that you can forgive these people. Because your debts cannot be forgiven until you forgive your brother or your sister. Now the next portion in the model prayer reads, And lead us not into temptation. Temptation and sin go hand in hand. When we come face to face with temptation, it can sometimes be difficult to resist. I get it. Because of course it's not going to be something you don't want. It's going to be something you're interested in. The temptation is going to be something that you like. The temptation is going to be something that looks good, that feels good. And for some reason, whatever it is you feel like at the moment, you can get away with it. This is why we need God, our Father, to set up some roadblocks and lead us far from the path of temptation. Because the end is sin. The end of sin is death. That's not what we want. And I'm going to tell you personally, I can't even tell you how many things God has blocked for me. He's kept me from other folks, but he has also kept me from myself. Single folks right now, you ought to be shouting out. Because a lot of times when you're single, you go through temptations that married folks don't go through. And married folks, I know you go through temptations that a lot of single folks don't go through. How many times, single people, did you get that wrong text message late at night? And everything in you said, forget it, I'm going. Forget it, I don't care no more. Forgive it, I'm, forget it, I'm going to just give in. How many times, married folks, did your spouse say something to you that just hurt you to your soul and everything in you said, knock him out? How many times, young people, have your parents embarrassed you or said something rude to you? So you wanted to retaliate or embarrass them too and not feeling like honoring your mother and your father. Guess what? We are all tempted. But the Bible says that God will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able to stand. But with that temptation, God also makes a way for you to escape. Escape. Wow. So now what is it then that we need to escape? The temptation to commit that sin. Sometimes God has to just take us right on out of it. Because if it were up to us, we would have fallen over and over again. God helps us to escape that temptation though. 
the temptation that you may have to do or say the wrong thing. He helped you to escape the temptation to snap out on your job. He's helped you to escape the temptation to go off on the cashier at the store who's rude or throwing you back your change or just can't answer a question. He simply put up what looks like a roadblock just for you. How so? How is that? Don't you know when those types of things come up and and we feel like we're tempted at the moment, I don't care if God has to send a reminder to you through a song that comes up in your head, pops up in your remembrance, or a scripture that you learned even when you were a child, a scripture that your pastor may have quoted on Sunday. Maybe somebody from church came into that environment. Maybe you specifically, for some of us, clearly heard God say, don't do it, daughter. Don't do it, son. Somewhere down in your spirit. But whatever it was that God had to do, he did not let you fall into that temptation. And Lord knows I'm glad about it. He led us from the temptation. He kept us from the temptation. He kept us from falling. Who wouldn't serve a God like that? Who wouldn't serve a God like that? Who wouldn't obey a father like that? He keeps us from falling over and over again just because he loves us. That's what it means. When the scripture says he'll give us an opportunity to escape, he'll lead us from the temptation. He does not let us fall into that temptation because he knows that it leads to sin. Thank you, Lord. What a mighty God we serve. And now the next portion of the model prayer says, but deliver us from evil. Evil is an unfortunate reality in our world. It's just what it is. Don't you know the devil is always trying to tempt you and trying to tempt me? And that's his full-time job. He's trying to look for ways to steer us from the right path and onto the wrong path. He's trying to look for ways to get us to fall. He's trying to look for ways to get us to do the wrong thing. Now you have to know that Satan has no power over God. So when we pray to God for protection against everything that's evil, he shields us. He is our shield. He is our banner. He's our strong tower. He is the way. He's the truth. He is the life. Everything that we need is in God. So when we pray to God, he continues to empower us to just say no to the enemy. This is why we have to just constantly stay in prayer because the enemy is constantly messing with us. Why is that? Because he wants us to go to hell like him eternally. He wants us to fall. He wants us to mess up like he did. So he's doing his job. Now we have to do ours. This is why we have the model prayer. Because Jesus was giving us these guidelines that we need on a daily basis to be able to walk this walk so that we can look like our daddy, look like our heavenly father and act like our heavenly father. What kind of fruit are we bearing? 
Are we looking like who we say we are? Or are we just carrying these giant Bibles and just trying to look the part? What are we looking like? What are we acting like, people of God? If we go back to Second Chronicles 7 and 14, and we read it, the scripture says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, we've talked about humbling ourselves. We've talked about the portion of the scripture that talks about praying and seeking God's face. So now... We need to turn from our wicked ways. What does it mean to turn from our wicked ways? This means that we have to repent. To repent means to feel or express sincere regret or remorse about our wrongdoing or our sin. And then to change it. You can't say you're sorry and keep doing the same thing over and over again. Because if you're truly sorry, then you'll stop. To repent means that you have to turn around and go in another direction. So it means that you have to turn from evil and turn to God. And remember, in Second Chronicles... He's talking to his people. Christians are sinning every single day. But we can't just keep going on like this, people of God. We're disappointing God every day. But we cannot go on like this. Lives are at stake. People are watching us. People are depending on us. And when we get right, some other folks... And our families are going to get saved. When we get right, our neighbors are going to get saved. When we get right, our children are going to get saved. This is why we can't be hypocrites and say one thing and do something else. It's important that the changes first begin with us, the saints, the people of God. Then... We can go to the people who are not Christians or the ain'ts, so to speak, to tell them about Jesus because they're looking at us. David asked God to cleanse him from secret faults. And we all have them. You know, that stuff that you don't tell anybody about, that stuff that nobody else knows that you do. We have to ask God to remove that stuff from us. Because what you don't want is to be hindered from the kingdom of God. What you don't want is to be a hypocrite and say one thing and do something else. What you don't want is to say that you're a Christian and you don't have any fruit. What you don't want is to say that you're a Christian and you don't look anything like God, our father. You're not acting anything like God, our father. You're not talking like God, our father. 
And certainly not only do you not want to be hindered. Because that's what sin does. It hinders us. But you don't want to hinder somebody else either. Because again, people are looking at us. They need us. Because if we as Christians are not doing the right thing, who are they supposed to follow? Who is the example going to be? It has to first begin with us. So what we're going to do is stop telling everybody else what's wrong with them. And start with the man in the mirror. Start with the woman in the mirror. Let the change begin with me. People of God, the change has got to begin with us. There's one thing I know for certain. Jesus sat down with the sinners and the publicans. He sat down with everyday folks. But he never gave in and started acting like them. Yes, I applaud you for ministering ministering to folks in the street. I applaud you for ministering to the folks outside the club. But right now, it's hard for folks to tell who recruited whom. Because some of us are looking and acting just like them. Have we forgotten the basic foundation of the church? Is it possible that because we've stopped doing things like going to Sunday school? Is it possible that because we stopped going to Bible study? Pastors, have we stopped having new members classes? Or has the church moved on to all kinds of outside activities? We're bringing in programs for the singles and doing speed dating. We're bringing in programs for money that look like get-rich-quick schemes and pyramid schemes. We're not going to church. We're going to the skate party. We're going to the Halloween party. We're going to the New Year's Eve party at the club. We're not at the church anymore. But pastors, ask yourselves, are the doors open? Are the doors open for the people that need us? Are our arms extended to the people that need us? Are we doing the things that the Bible talks about, like visiting those in prison, feeding those that are hungry, clothing those that need clothes? People of God, are we doing the things that we as the church are supposed to be doing? Ask yourselves, pastors, Can all of your members appropriately respond when people come at them with certain questions and statements? Because you know people come at them. What about when people come to your members and ask, well, what do you believe? What does it mean to be a Christian? How do I get saved? Why do I need to go to church? What's wrong with staying at home watching it on TV? I don't have anything to wear to church. What about when they come to your members and say, well, it's more hypocrites in the church than out here in the streets. Pastors, ask yourself, can your members answer those questions? People of God, ask yourself, do you know the answer to these questions? Because people are going to confront you about who you say you are. 
Pastors who are listening, ask yourself this question. Do you have a vision? Can you summarize your vision if somebody asks you exactly what your church is all about? Or do you have to go back to read it yourself because it's just something that you wrote down? Do your members know the vision statement of the church? Are you preaching sound doctrine or have you moved to entertainment and just trying to keep the bodies in the seat because you don't want to offend anybody? Have each, each of the leaders in your church had appropriate ongoing training for the role that they're in? Have your ushers had training? Do you spend time with the choir members? Are you spending time with the, the, the musicians? Do you pastor get continuous training and encouragement from your pastor? Cause even pastors still need a pastor. Somebody has to be able to tell you something. Everybody has to submit to somebody. People of God, we can't keep running on empty. So we have to begin from the top. Let's start with us as church leaders and let's ensure that we have full cups. Let's ensure that our cups are running over and overflowing with love, overflowing with joy, overflowing with peace. The fruit of the spirit should be manifest in us as leaders. The fruit of the spirit should be manifested in all Christians. Let's ensure that we're bearing this fruit that we teach about. Many times we use the excuse where well, everybody's doing this or that. We can no longer look and act like the rest of the world. If you're a Christian in everything that you do, you should be operating in a spirit of excellence. See, favor and excellence go hand in hand, according to Daniel 6. You got to go beyond mediocre. You got to go beyond just doing the basics in this day and time. You have to reach for excellence. Because we can't keep falling for the world's excuses of why we're not acting like and doing the things that we say we're going to do as the people of God. I don't want to hear any more from Christians. Well, I'm human. Well, I have needs. It gets old. There used to be a time where we didn't make those excuses. We have got to make these changes. Ask yourself, what legacy am I leaving behind? What are people going to say about you when it's all said and done and you stretched out across the front of the church? Will they be able to speak well of you or are they going to have to stretch the truth and, and, and try to be polite? Who are you behind closed doors? Who are you when nobody's watching? You can fool the people sometimes, but guess what? We ain't fooling God none of the time. God sees all and he knows all. Therefore, let's do something about it. How do we fix this? We've got to get back to basics, people of God. First and foremost, let's get back to the basics. Let's be who we proclaim to be. Let's stop pointing fingers at everybody else and recognize that everything ain't because the devil made you do it. Some stuff is your flesh because you wanted to do it because you thought it felt good. Stop giving Satan so much credit. You wanted to do it. Paul said in Romans, the seventh chapter, he didn't even understand what he did for some of the things that he wanted to do. He did it and he hated doing it. And the things that he didn't want to do were the things that he did. But he said, it's no longer I myself who does it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that good itself doesn't dwell in me. That's in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I don't do what I want to do, but the evil I do. And I don't want to do that. 
Guess what? It's the sin nature that lives in us. So we have to ensure that we're not operating our flesh. We're not giving the enemy control. The old folks used to say, don't even let him ride. Because if you let him ride, he'll sure enough want to drive. Stop talking about your brother and your sister that you see who may be falling. Stop gossiping. Stop trying to put videos of somebody messing up on Facebook. Galatians 6 and 1 says, if you see your brothers overtaken in a fault, since you're so spiritual, you restore them in the spirit of meekness. Because guess what? It could be you. We have a bad habit of wanting to tell the world when the Christians fall. Let's stop doing that. Let's get back to basics. Don't tell me who you are, but show me by your fruit. Thank you so much for joining on today. This has been Eve's Corner and I am Prophetess Amina Campbell Jackson. In addition to the bi-weekly radio show, Eve's Corner, Campbell Ministries is doing some great things in the community. Take some time and take a look at our website. That's www.campbellministries.com so that you can find out more about what we're doing. We offer your big sister's closet. We're doing career readiness and career relevance trainings, business etiquette trainings. And we also offer products. So if you need anointing oil for prayer so that you can anoint yourself on a daily basis, please check out the website. You can order one one ounce bottle for $12, two for 20 or three for 30. And if you're in the Jackson, Mississippi area and you're looking for a good church home, please stop by the Wordful Gospel Baptist Church. It's a mighty good place to serve. We're located at 3023 Percy V. Simpson Drive, where our pastor is the Elder Frederick Stewart. Our founding pastor is Dr. J.B. Williams. So if you're in Jackson, come on out. We're glad to have you. Thanks again for joining. We'll be back in two weeks for more of Eve's Corner. God bless you and God keep you is our prayer. Oh.